It is episode 112, a well overdue episode 112. I am Michael Askins, architect and technologist, and this is IT Pro Tech Talk. And in the studio, returning champ and professor, Christopher. How you doing, Chris? <laughs> That's right. Good. How's it going, Mike? Doing well, doing well. Uh, thanks again for jumping back on. I uh, want to give a little bit of an update uh, to everyone. Uh, we did an episode not too long ago where we've been. Uh, there were some business changes and our landmark sponsor change. We came back for a little bit and then all of a sudden we were quiet for December. So I want to let you all know what, what's been going on. Um, well, the holidays came and so did the flu. <laughs> so that kind of crushed us a little bit uh, between myself and Dev and some of our guests we were teeing up in our year end. Uh, it was always a combination of balls in the air, who can be where and when and how. And it just, everybody was just like crushed under the weather. So we are now back and better than ever. And what a better way to kick off 2023 than with our returning champ, Chris, how you been, what have you been up to? Yeah, it's exciting, man. It's uh, I feel like it's been a really long time, actually. Um, so yeah, you know, a lot of irons in the fire as usual. Um, I've got uh, fourteen of the fifteen chapters written for the book. Um, nice. So yeah. yeah, we're just writing the conclusion now, finishing up a couple of tech examples. So um, you know that that should be done very very shortly here. Um, you know, finish up the editing process and hopefully have it all published optimistically by end of February, early March, maybe. Kind of depends on the the publisher. Um, so that's pretty exciting. Um, wrapped up a, a really successful semester at, at Boston University, um, taught a class called uh, Data Mechanics. Um, so uh, I, I think uh, given the recurring theme, it, it seems like a pretty good natural fit for for what we've talked about a lot of times, right? And, mm -hmm. um, you know, put a lot of focus on um, understanding, you know, beyond the technology piece, but, but really understanding what it means to have good data, clean data, um, you know, and what it takes to get that. Um, I'm, I'm teaching in the, the School of Computing and Data Science um, <clears throat> to undergrad. And, and really, uh, as a data science major, you're just doing a lot more of the al algorithmic work, the statistics, you know, doing some Python programming, um, and, and really more, um, more of those open source framework tools. Um, but it, it doesn't have as much of a focus on, you know, the data lineage and the data cleansing and, um, and you know, a, a lot of those aspects of it. And so I uh, got the opportunity to to really uh, shape young minds, as they say, right? Yep. Um, and, uh, and you know, they welcome me back uh, coming up for this spring semester as well. So, uh, you know, that, that's been really great. Um, and then, uh, you know, just same thing, went through the holidays, uh, had, had COVID for the first time in, you know, two plus years or whatever it was, um, you know, but but we, we all survived that as well. And yep. uh, so, yeah, no, just uh, it, it's it's been busy, but but really good. Yeah, definitely been uh, busy. And, you know, it's good to hear that your your classes uh, went well, your courses went well. And, you know, the one thing I don't know, I just thought of this as you we were talking. Mm. Did you look yourself up on Rate My Teacher? <laughs> I did. Uh, my name wasn't in there yet. Okay. Um, so I got, I, I was actually thinking about that yesterday. I got to go back <laughs> in and see if anybody put it, put it in there. Um, yeah, no. I, and, and actually uh, I'm still waiting for, to get my feedback from last semester too. Cause um, you know, the students have their own um, internal for, for, for Boston university. They have their own rating system, um, you know, and, and I'm supposed to get access to that at some point, um, you know, just like everything else. And, and I think I've come across this same way. Um, you know, in the time that we've spent together um, on various, you know, platforms is that, um, you know, it, if, if I've got an opportunity to improve, I want to know about it. Right. And, and so, yep. 
um, you know, it kind of goes along with that growth mindset. Never stop learning, you know, whatever hashtag you want to throw in there. Right. It's, it's no hurtbots.com. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it, it's just, you, you, you just got to kind of keep doing it. And, um, and so I'll be really curious to see, um, I did get a lot of positive feedback from students over email in person and things like that. So that's always helpful, you know, any, any kind of, any kind of positive, um, you know, affirmation that I'm doing the right thing, uh, really, really kind of helps motivate even further. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's, it's worth noting that, uh, when, when you speak and you do stuff and I'm, and I'm sure you've had this too, you know, I was out in Seattle, um, this is a while ago now because, you know, travel and we do things remote more so than ever. I was sitting in the airport and I'm on, a, I'm an East coaster. So you get these really weird times and flights. And so I'm, I had a long time to kill, you know, and I'm sitting out there and I'm just like working on my surface book. I was actually writing a, an article and this person, I never seen them before in my life. They walk up and they're like, Oh, I really enjoy your, your content and your show. Like I, yeah, I well. really appreciated the feedback and I loved it. And it's just the yeah. most surreal thing ever when that happens. And I'm just so appreciative of our, of our, our audience and our crowd. Uh, it gotta be even more satisfying when you are looking at the faces every day and then they come right. up to you. So congrats to you again on that, because that that's, yeah, you know, yeah, it's just awesome. And it's good to hear the books progressing uh, and, you know, Microsoft's Slowly. progressing. Yeah. <laughs> um, the one thing I want to bring up, and, you know, I, I had this note for the last time and I didn't really, you know, we all, we always kind of like lean to you for the data stuff. I mean, you're a technologist, you know, all the, you're, you're a cloud person, you're an on-premises data center person. Uh, so, you know, we're going to talk around some data stuff now, uh, but you know, let's put the lens of if there's other things other than data, feel free to throw it out there because, you know, you are uh, you are a true architect at heart and a technologist. So we appreciate your input in these and the other areas, too, as well. Um, so we want we want to include uh, everybody's experiences and, you know, with organizations trying to be a little more nimble, sometimes are leaning on people uh, with multiple skill sets. You know, I mean, you got gobs of skill sets. And, you know, it got me thinking, um, how do we do more with less with data and how do we be more cost effective with data? Um, you know, there's things we can do in Azure. Uh, if you're in Azure, uh, most platforms have some sort of a, a component around what we're going to discuss, but there's like cost controls, there's billing uh, solutions, um, you know, the old cloud in, which is, you know, part of, you know, Azure, um, you can actually use Azure and look at your AWS and GCP and, and get an understanding of your costs. But there's things we can do as people deploying and architecting solutions to try to be a little more cost effective. Is there anything that comes top of mind for you uh, in that space? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, real quickly, I'll, I'll say, you know, um, having changed roles about a year ago uh, and, and getting the opportunity to, um, step sort of outside of that that Azure specific lens to be able to uh, kind of zoom out a bit, looking at all three clouds, Dynamics, um, you know, Office Cloud, if you will, and and the Azure Cloud, and and to start getting a grasp on um, what all of those data solutions in each of those clouds are. Um, you know, my my goal for for twenty twenty three is to start publishing more of that content to be able to talk about things like um, the common data platform, the um, you know dataverse area, um, and and then of course you know the advances in in our you know uh, first party total analytics tool and Synapse and stuff like that. And so 
um, you know, look forward to that content coming out. Uh, it's been a long time coming, um, you know, with the book and everything like that. But once once I can turn my focus, I'm, I'm really looking forward into to diving into more of that to, to help, you know, our customers to really get a better grasp on what we're doing. Um, but, you know, specific to your question, you know, I, I think... I think the the biggest piece of advice that I give to all of our customers, and I probably mention it in every single chapter of the book, is to just start slow. Um, you know, everybody wants to just you know use all the tools and 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 play with all the techniques and you know turn all this stuff on. Um, but you know, the real challenge is is that that costs money. You know, and so um, when when we start with a POC. And, and we have that ability or proof of concept, we have that ability to really um, get a good grasp on on what the costs are, where they're coming from. Right. Um, you know, if it's if it's compute related, so you're turning on Synapse, you're turning on Spark, Databricks, um, Azure Data Explorer, or any kind of database product, any of that stuff. Um, that's where the real cost is. Uh, storage is is really inexpensive. Um, you know, networking is really inexpensive, uh, and those types of things. But, um, <clears throat> you know, one thing that we, we did in the, the semester, uh, was a semester long project that involved, you know, essentially building a, uh, small scale in a, analytical environment to analyze COVID data. Um, and, and I worked with the students to essentially, have them look at, I don't know, it was, it was probably 30 different uh, data points of um, responses to the COVID um, outbreak and how they, uh, you know, what measures they would take based on the data that they had as it related to, um, you know, fatalities, um, you know, uh, people contracting uh, the virus as well as, um, you know, being able to recover from it. Uh, and so, the you know to to start things off it you know it was just teaching them how to turn stuff off when they weren't using it right how to pause the compute um how to use uh serverless options instead of persisted um solutions uh you know not not every uh different you know object or or um tool in the azure environment can be turned off or paused from a compute perspective uh, but in, in reality, you know, when you think about things like Virtual Machine or Cosmos DB or SQL or Synapse, um, many of those can either be scaled way back um, when they're not being used or run as serverless or just completely turned off. Um, mm -hmm. and, and one thing to evaluate when you, when you start to think about serverless versus persisted um, is, is that when you use serverless, um, on a, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, per cycle, per minute, per hour, per month basis, if you're using it all the time, it is definitely going to cost you more than if you are provisioning compute for, uh, for that period of time, whatever it happens to be, uh, you know, if you're using it all the time. And so that's a part of an evaluation uh, when you're, you're looking at, you know, whatever the workload is you're looking to deploy is, you know, is this sort of a, is it a part-time tool, right? Is it, um, you know, is, is it an expense report tool that, you know, is going to see the highest amount of demand at the end of the month? Uh, you know, when, when people are filling out their time cards or whatnot, um, you know, is it, is it a, a reporting analytics tool um, that, you know, you, you really want to see 
all the reports at the beginning of the month from the prior month and, and all those details, right? For for the larger reports, you know, some of those big honking paginated reports that take 20 minutes, half hour, <laughs> two hours to generate, right? Yeah. Um, and and so it's it's keeping perspective on what that project looks like, um, you know, in, in evaluating uh, those options as they're available. I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm smiling here because I just had a conversation uh, with for the day job. And one of the things that they did was they went in their blades when they deployed all their VMs, including their SQL boxes, and, and they wanted to be cost conscious. So they checked that box, like shut off at night. And they're, right. com they're complaining that like in the morning, nothing works. <laughs> well, you're shutting it off. You have to turn right. it back on, you know, and yeah. it's, you know, there's things we can do to turn off and turn off. Like there's run books and different types of automation tools. You know, I'm a big fan of, you know, configuration management with bicep and, you know, you can do arm templates and you can always do that shut down, but it's the turning on part that you got to remember to do, you know? Right. Right. And it's interesting because, um, you know, that that's a common request from people is, okay, great. You've got the ability to shut this off, but how do I turn it on? Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't want um, my controller to have to go into um, the Azure portal to be able to turn on his virtual machine that he's using, yeah. you know, but so, you know, and, and um, commonly, like you said, automation uh, components, you know, using runbooks in, in Azure Automate um, as, as well as, uh, you know, simple things like, like just a, a very, very basic power app that allows you to run a script, you know, to, to turn that on, yep. um, you know, things like that. And, uh, I, I think that because people hear that it's in the cloud, there's almost like a disconnect that they don't consider those types of options, uh, because, it's just, it's almost like a mental block where they say, you know, well, that's in the cloud. You know, I, I can't touch that. And it's just like, well, it's just an extension of your data center, really, mm -hmm. you know, or it's your data center, right? It's not even an extension for a lot of customers nowadays, um, you know, because they're just going all cloud all the time. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a big, um, it's a big blocker for people sometimes when they just can't uh, knock down that wall, if you will. This is, this is the, for the, I'm holding up, sure. my phone. this is your friend for the cloud, yeah. for turning things on. Like, especially, especially if you have like commodity things or develop, develop side, development side things, you know, just boy, touch, turn it on, you know, and there's, yeah. and you can run, you know, PowerShell from your phone. Now you can run bash from your phone. Uh, you know, there's so much, so I don't much controller there. doing that though. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Very right. true. But, I mean, but no, I mean, with, with, with the power apps being deployed so easily and being able to, to just tie those scripts in, yep. you know, I mean, you know, we're not talking about, um, uh, really, really heavy programming or anything like that. Right. I mean, it's something can be built in a very, very short amount of time. They can design it themselves because it's designed for them to be able mm -hmm. to um, build their own pages and whatnot. And so, yeah, maybe you got to tie a little bit of code to the background of it. Um, and, and, you know, there's a, just an absolute ton of samples and, and um, you know, different options out there on the web, you know, quick search can yield pretty much anything you need. Absolutely. Sco scope your PowerShell to your subscription and then do a get, get a VM command and then, start a VM command and that's you're it. off yeah. and running. Yeah. yeah. It's that, that's a good idea. 
Um, you know, one of the things too, from a cost perspective in, in, you know, I've had this conversation with, with clients, uh, historically more along the lines towards the, the mid tier and lower organizations, but we're starting to have them with the, the mid tier to enterprise organization of like, you know, we're, we're spending a lot of money at, at, with, with Microsoft. Is there anything they can do for us? It's like services are services. They cost what they cost, but there are, um, services that Microsoft offers that are always free. And some of those address the situations that, you know, we're talking to like, there's some components of Azure monitor that is, that are free costs, uh, cost control and billing and budgeting is always part of your subscription. Right. Uh, but there are also, you know, database platforms, uh, that, that have components around that. And, and I called up the list here earlier for, for uh, a customer we're doing an engagement with, and like, you know, they have some small, really lightweight databases and they're like, I don't want to have to stand up a server. And I was like, well, you don't have to, you can just, you know, you can put it on a free tier for Cosmos DB. Cause I'm looking here, you get like a thousand request units per second, right. 25 right. gig of storage. I mean, yep. that is great. Right. And then you sure. look at open source DBs that, that sub are supported inside of uh, Microsoft um, Azure. It's, it's yep. just there's so many options out there to, to try to be smart with how your spend is. Uh, but also, you know, one of the things I always mention is, yeah, you can be smart with your spend, but it could also hurt you if you're not careful about the technical requirements. So right. yes, be smart with your spend, but make sure it's solving the technical need too. Um, yeah. Have you seen a, a lot of movement towards open source or? Um, I, you know, so I, I, we've probably mentioned it before, you know, two thirds of, of the Azure cloud is, is on open source, you know, whether it be, you know, a different flavor of Linux, whatnot. Um, right. And, and then on, you know, to your point, um, open source database options, you know, Postgres, um, uh, MariaDB, uh, MySQL, um, you know, Cassandra, you know, there, there's a bunch of them that are, that are now platform services. So, mm -hmm. you know, you don't have to worry about the care and feeding as much. And of course, SQL server, right. We don't want to leave that one out, but, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, with, with those, those managed services, those managed options, right. It, it kind of takes all the, um, all the standing up of, of the services, the, um, you know, the securing, the replication, the high availability, all those things that normally you have to put a lot of time and effort into to make sure it's exactly how you want it. Now yeah. it's just a configuration when you're deploying the service or after the fact, you know, and um, a lot of them have serverless options as we're referred to, you know, and then you, you spoke of, of Cosmos and you think about um, the options there with Cosmos. And, you know, you get a thousand request units, um, uh, sorry, resource units for, for you know, free, if you will. Um, but then, you know, if, if you've got an application that that requires more, right, you can always use the auto scale feature, right? And, mm -hmm. and that's going to also help you with your cost controls. Now, Cosmos is, is um, uh, a, a pretty sophisticated tool. Uh, the the configuration options are bountiful, <laughs> right? Um, you know, uh, you've you've just got a, a ton of options and ways it can be deployed. When you think about partitioning and replications, um, you know, and indexing and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, Cosmos is is um, not necessarily for the faint of heart, right? Um, that's one of those tools that you really want to work with an expert. Um, before just spinning it up, 
um, one of the big knocks against Cosmos is that it it's expensive, right? And and I'm I'm putting that in virtual quotes here um, as I say it. And it, it's it's you know oftentimes considered expensive because quite frankly, people aren't doing their homework to make sure that they're optimizing it out of the gate, right? Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you don't need to replicate, um, you know, to, to five different data centers, um, you know, then don't. If, if you don't have to multi-master in different data centers, then don't. Um, mm -hmm. If you don't need to index um, some, you know, archive data or, you know, if, if, if your most, Im, um, most important stuff is, is only going to be 30 days old, then don't index the rest, right? And, and create rules around that kind of stuff that a lot of people miss. And so, um, you know, I, I know that there's a ton of material out there about optimizing Cosmos, um, but where it's so flexible, customers just automatically want to turn it on you know, throw everything at it and, and, you know, away we go. And then they come back, you know, a month or two later and they're like, what is this? You know, um, just because the costs are, are unwieldy, you know? And so, um, th that's one of those where, and, and, you know, Synapse has some similarities. Um, it's, it's the, the beauty, but also the challenge of having such a flexible platform where you really have so much control as to how it gets deployed, what configurations you're using, what components you're using, um, that if you don't know what you're doing, you can really, really cost yourself a lot of money. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Now, if only we had a way to put a cost control wrap around Redis. I still haven't figured that out. Redis mm -hmm. cache, and um, yep. that that can be a tough one, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, and, and we've seen some advancements with Redis, right? Um, you know, it's been a little bit here, um, but I know that that we had some exclusive partnerships with Redis from more of an enterprise um, perspective for, for things like replication, high availability and stuff like that. Um, you know, and, and so we've got a pretty good partnership with those guys. And so you can expect to see better controls over that type of stuff in the future, as well as, you know, anybody who's seen any of the, um, the recent advancements with Synapse and stuff, we're going to see a lot more cost control around those things. Um, yeah. you know, so, so yeah, it's, it's, it's coming. It's, um, you know, there's, there's only so many developers on the team. There's only so much they can do over the course of a sprint. Right. So it's, it's, um, it's whatever the, the highest priority thing is at the time. Yeah, for sure. And, and there's a lot to get your hands around data lakes, Delta lakes, uh, you know, blob storage sitting out here serving up tables. Uh, you know, there's, there's so many different options and, and things to do. And, you know, one of the things I, I, I'm a big fan of is, you know, reevaluating uh, the speed of the cloud is we we've mentioned this here a gazillion times. The speed of the cloud is truly amazing, right? We, we do orders of magnitude from like features and, and, and things that are out there. And we democratize it and take all these really cool things and make it available for everyone. Uh, there's different tiers for different services. So, you know, we're out there doing, you know, doing the work, and making sure that everyone understands. Uh, but, you, you know, sometimes from an enterprise side or from a, you know, a core mid-tier size, you, you got to stop. You got to like take a breath and see what you're doing and make sure that you're mapping your future state 
to, you know, what you have now, because, you know, I've worked with organizations and I know you have too, that they're just perpetually migrating from one platform to another, to another, because they can't seem to get their hands around the architecture or, or for whatever reason they're doing it. Um, but stopping to, to, to understand what you have, what you're spending, what your true needs are, solve the business problem with technology. Don't apply the business to the technology you want to deploy out there. And you'll find even though some of those really cool things you want to do and some of those cool services, they might not apply, but you know, who's to say right. you can't stand up a lab and, you know, play with them and see if there is a value there. And, and that's one of the takeaways that, you know, I would like our listeners to know is like, yes, you know, reevaluate your environment, be smart, be cost conscious. That doesn't mean you have to sacrifice innovation. You know, you can sp spend a small amount of money, uh, for a lab or a dev environment and work on a with a smaller set of resources to, to figure it out. You don't want to throw a, a, an expensive solution at something and then try to figure it out as you go. So, you know, being smart with how you apply your technology is, is another way we can really be cost conscious uh, from a data perspective. Um, and that is like also, you know, keeping an eye on what key things are important to you out of your data platforms. Um, you know, it's more than just making sure you're not spiking CPUs and you you have enough log space, you know, it's what is the important thing to keep things going. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm more of a, of a data center infra guy. And so I look at, you know, Hey, let's look at IOPS. Let's look at, you know, how do we, how can we like serve data faster and better? Um, is there anything that you would recommend people look at to try to, you know, keep an eye on a metric. Um, you know, I think in our in the show notes I sent over is like keeping a keen eye. Like, what are the some of the key things we want to look at? Yeah, and and you know, everything that you just described really comes back to understanding your business objectives, right? And and what is it that you're trying to deploy? What are those needs that you have? And then what are the nice to haves, right? And and yeah. being able to go through the process of evaluating, uh, you know, what are those needs and nice to haves, uh, comparing them side by side, um, that can help you um, deploy a more controlled environment. Now, beyond that, um, you know, the, the first party Azure tools are fantastic. Um, you know, Azure Monitor, um, you can tie it into the logging to, to be able to detect um, any kind of anomalies or, or, you know, security risks or misconfigurations, you know, um, you name it, um, you, you've got some great visualization aspects um, to be able to kind of dig into that. Um, but in the true Microsoft fashion, we can't scale, we can't grow, we can't offer the best service to our customers without our partners, right? And so, you know, when you think of some of our, our closer partners that are doing some amazing things with the platform and, and really tapping into services, uh, partners like Datadog and Dynatrace, and um, there's a few others out there um, that, you know, these are Microsoft um, independent software vendor partners, right? And, and these guys have offerings in the marketplace where you can tap into just about any service in Azure. And Oh, by the way, you can also combine that stuff with what's on-prem and other clouds um, and, and really get a good understanding of what's happening in the environment um, to make sure that you're not overspending on cost, right? Um, it's, it's interesting because, you know, you get a lot of teams that want to establish a budget, understandably, right? I mean, that's, that's an edict from, from finance. You need to know your budget. Um, 
but they just build a POC and, you know, don't have an idea of what that budget's going to be. Right. And so it's like, well, you know, if you don't, if you don't build it to your spec and, and what you need to accomplish with this, it's really hard to develop what that budget looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Further, you know, yeah, well, one last point on that, right? So you were talking about scale, right? And, and um, you know, how much space do you need for logs and those types of things? And this is another, I think, misstep that customers have is remembering that, you know, you essentially have limitless scale, right? Now, mind you, I, I, we do have work, you know, use cases that push those limits, right? Uh, of course we do. But um, you know, for, for the majority of projects and workloads out there, um, you're going to be able to scale your environment to what you need over time. And so, you know, even if, even if you, you start at a lower tier virtual machine, for instance, you're deploying a VM, um, you know, or, or, uh, a lower tier compute, you know, for any of the, any of the data services, um, you know, there are always steps to migrate, right? There are always steps to, um, you know, even if that particular tier you're in doesn't support what you might need to do in the future, you can always migrate to it and, and do something um, a little bit different, right? So um, I, I think, you know, getting started, you know, start with your POC, make some assessments as to what you're going to need. You're probably going to over provision anyway, right? Just to be safe and make sure that you're satisfying the needs. Um, but then after you've got it all done, go back and evaluate and see where you're at for CPU usage, memory usage, disk usage, things like that. So you can scale back. Uh, and then when you need more compute, it's there. Move the slider to the right, as we say, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so you mentioned uh, uh, one of the ISV partners, uh, Dynatrace, and so I'd be remiss to say, you know, for, you know, transparency purposes, the day job uh, solutions for networks, our primary sponsor here, we're actually partners with Dynatrace. And, mm -hmm. you know, some of the some of the output that in the onboarding that we did to become partners, it was a real eye opener on the capabilities that are there natively sitting on that platform is like the visibility and tying into all those solutions. Uh, you know, a lot of people looked at it as like an app D kind of a replacement, but it's so much more than that. Right. App D was, you know, it solves, solves a, a particular challenge, but you know, when we look at what Dynatrace has offered and what the, the, the wrappers are for that, you know, you're looking at, everything from you know operational functionality to code level functionality finding out where things are breaking understanding capabilities um, as it is transactionally on the systems you're deploying there and that kind of insight make it makes an organization smarter to make those choices without you know the whole uh, for our audio only listeners like lick the finger put it in the air uh, you know that whole like let's look at some logs and try to get you know, you know, what is the biggest thing ever going on right now? Because, you know, uh, we need to have all this stuff thrown at it because we think we're we're at capacity or we're projecting. Well, let's use real data to, to try to determine that. Right. Uh, and that's one of the things I love about it. And for some reason, my notifications are going off and I have them turned <laughs> off. <laughs> I know I was going to I was going to ding you on that one. <laughs> Uh, and I and I think I know why that is because I have a few people on my on my list that are uh, you know those exceptions they can message you even if yeah. you're like and uh, it seems to be that that's the case so, um, so apologies to our listeners that have to listen in to the dinging there um, but uh, kind of kind of putting a wrapper around some of our our core theme here for today is 
you know, how do we handle, you know, runaway services and runaway services mm -hmm. happen in a couple different vectors from, you know, and I'm sure you can probably tell me some others, but the vectors I typically see are in no offense to our developer friends, but uh, <laughs> developers, you know, they like what they like and, and they want to be enabled to do things. So they just kind of like put that gas pedal down or, you know, they don't, they don't put it in first or second gear. They go straight to fifth because they right, want the right. juice to be able to have their solution perform. And I understand that. And, and, and again, to our developer friends, this is not a criticism. It's uh, a challenge that as a business, we want to kind of come to a common ground on. Another vector I see is that, um, you know, services will get stood up without the understanding of its capabilities and it will get replicated over time throughout an organization. And next, you know, you have two or three instances of that. It, whereas you can be a little more smart on how you do things, you know, can, can you have databases on a SQL server sitting in Azure uh, or do you need to have an individual SQL server with a database on each one? Cause I see that so often when we're sure. doing an analysis, it's so, um, you know, saying no to someone and or maybe moving their cheese and making them feel bad is not something we want to do. We want to give them and enable them. What are you seeing from runaway services? Is there anything to keep an eye out that you can think of? Well, I think, you know, your, your developer content uh, comment really kind of uh, rings true in that what we run into is um, we, we almost um, have a natural bias to what we're comfortable with. And so uh, rather than evaluating all options uh, to, to see what's going to be most uh, efficient and effective, uh, we just kind of go with what we know, right? And um, that, that can be a problem, right? If, if um, you know, you can uh, perform, uh, you, you know, your, your transformations um, on, a, on a data pipeline um, using uh, Spark with uh, a Spark cluster, you know, and, and everything is available there, um, that might be more efficient than using Azure Data Factory, for instance, right? Where, um, you, you know, those GUI tools and whatnot, they cost you money, right? Because there's development cost that goes along with that. And yep. so um, it, it's, it's really taking, um, again, that step back to be able to evaluate what are your options uh, and, you know, if you don't have the firsthand knowledge of, of a particular service or tool, you know, do a little bit of homework, right? Yes, it's going to cost you a little bit more money up front, you know, from a, a time perspective, you know, um, but ultimately, you know, there's an ROI for that where you can say, actually, if we, you know, invest whatever, a week's worth of training into this other technology, it can cost us a significant amount of money over the course of the year. Um, oh, and by the way, you get to learn something new, right? And and that's one of the biggest motivating factors for employees these days. You know, do they have the opportunity to learn new stuff, right? Um, or, or are they just stuck doing the same old mundane, uh, you know, and, and it, it's, it, it can be very, very motivating for people. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think, I think that's one of the things is, is really look at all the options that are available for various services uh, to be able to run what they need to run. Um, you know, I, I can't count how many customers have spun up, um, you know, the, the enhanced Spark engine, um, Microsoft partner, first party partner, um, you know, versus like the Synapse Spark services, right? Where um, you're paying a premium for that enhanced Spark engine from our partner, um, you know, but if you're not using it for everything that it is, 
it's probably not worth the money. And oh, by the way, that compute is running all the time and can be very, very expensive because you're not de decoupling it, right? Yeah. But if you decouple it, um, you know, by using Synapse instead, maybe that's a better option, you know? So a lot of it comes down to requirements. Um, you know, uh, if, if there is a requirement to, um, you know, upskill on, on a specific technology to get a better handle on it, it might be worth that investment. And most likely it is just given that, you know, we're replacing a lot of the hardware that we're using normally on our premises with these services in the cloud. Um, but the majority of them can be spun up on-prem just for testing and dev purposes. It makes complete sense to me. You know, we we have a very similar conversation when we start looking at like logic apps and, uh, you know, how you're going to handle logic apps and functions, you know, do we put it on a, a consumption tier or do you put it like, where do you put it at? You know, mm -hmm. a lot of people go straight for like, they don't want to be hampered or, or, or have to configure it later. So they're going right for the, the, the top tier option, right. you know, and it's like, let, let's be a little smart with it. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I think this is all great stuff. Anything else you want to add to, to our conversation today? Yeah. I mean, so when you, when you think about, you know, stepping outside of the specific data comments, right. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in those aspects, it's really true of, you know, the cognitive services piece where many of the services, if not all um, can be containerized where it's going to be very similar to what you're running. So you can, can deploy that on premises. Um, I, I think it's about two thirds of them can be container containerized at this point. Then um, the, the other piece is that um, most of them have that free tier. Um, and if you look at the pricing, it's going to tell you the exact differences between free yeah. and standard and premium, right? And and so look at what those options are. And it's just like, okay, um, you know, I can only do a thousand renders per month on the free tier. Well, for your POC, you're probably not doing more than that, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, you're, you're eventually probably going to do some load testing, you know, to, to, to verify the, the architecture and things like that, but mm -hmm. you're not going to do that out of the gate. And again, you know, migrating to that next tier, uh, is usually pretty straightforward. Yeah, for sure. And it's not like you're going to run chaos against it and like totally, you know, lo load test it right from the get go. So do more with right. less. Um, it, it, we, we, we're, we're that cloud adoption framework uh, engagement we have with a customer right now, we're moving them to Azure and they're like, well, how much do I need to get going here? Cause we're getting ready to prepare their landing zone. I'm like, you don't need anything. They're like, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. I was like, well, you need a credit card to back the account just to set up the subscription. Right. But I mean, you're not going to get billed for anything. They're like, how is that? I was like, well, first of all, you know, you, you there's so many things out there that we're, we need to set up and configure that will not cost you anything right now. So right. why would right. we want to, you know, prepay for, you know, reserved instances for machines two months before we actually need them? So let's right. get the and landing. And not knowing what those there. requirements are. Exactly. It, it you know, gives you time yeah. too. The, the the baked in security stuff that's in there uh, gives you time to like get your role based access controls and all this other stuff like laid out properly. Um, so that's you know let, let's 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 be smart with it from inception all the way through you know delivery. And well, good I stuff. think the cost management tools are are you know critically important. We've talked about them some, um, but you know when you think about running some tags um, in your environment to to know what you're looking at and then, you know, setting up simple budgets and alerts, right? Mm -hmm. It's amazing how many customers don't even do that, right? It's yeah. just, 
<laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, it, it, as soon as I got my Azure environment deployed for my students, it's the first thing I did was, okay, let me know when I hit 25% of my budget. Let me know when I yep. hit, you know, 50% <laughs> of my budget, just to make sure that I'm very much aware of what's happening. And then if I see an alert where, where it's like, okay, well, that, that doesn't make sense. You know, I can go and find out what's happening in the environment to see where that cost is coming from. When you have day two and you have a budget set up, you have day two into the month and you're already at 75% of your budget. Yeah. Something yeah right. Exactly. <laughs> What's wrong? <laughs> yep. 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 So. And, and it's, and it's not, it's not easy to get that money back. I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> right. You spend right. it, yeah. you spend yeah. it. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, um, we, we've, we've had, you know, cases where hundreds of thousands of dollars were burnt because somebody wasn't paying attention. They over-provisioned something and yep. then they come back and say, you know, well, it was a mistake. I'm just like, well, we understand that, but you were also using that, you know? So it's yeah. like, you know, it's kind of hard to, to walk that back. And then mm -hmm. I've seen other cases where, you know, um, you know, the customer, you know, either, um, had an outage and, and, you know, they, they get the, um, the money back from that or, uh, you know, there is a misconfiguration, there's a bug, you know, and so if there's ever a question about it, you can definitely very easily set up a billing, um, you know, a billing request, billing support request to, to have it looked at, um, you know, and it opens a regular support ticket, just like everything else. And it kind of goes and you give your justification and all that. And so there are, there are options there, but I, but you're right. It's not necessarily straightforward as to whether or not you'll get it back. Yep. Absolutely. Um, anything else you want to add today? No, that's it, man. Um, you know, get, glad to be back on the horse and uh, hopefully Same. we can get back to it more regularly. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm super excited because, uh, you know, voice is back. I can talk. We got everybody's getting <laughs> back and healthy. Yeah, it definitely does. Uh, we, we have we have a whole list already scheduled out. We have we're going to we got you teed up. Uh, we got some solutions for networks. Uh, architects teed up for around some integration of Cisco with uh, Microsoft Teams. Uh, we have a, a whole suite of good stuff coming down the line, but I do got a, a couple housekeeping things. Again, normally we say this at the top of the hour. I will prepend this uh, for, for those who listen to the audio. Again, this shows for information and entertainment purposes only. Consult your professional before attempting any of this stuff that we talk about. Make sure that uh, these technical topics we talk about uh, apply to your specific environment. Specific environments are unique. And uh, a change for one organization or inside of the same organization might not mean the same thing elsewhere. So make sure you consult your professional. Make sure you do your due diligence and looking, looking up to make sure it applies for you. Uh, the other bit of housekeeping, again, I would like to thank Solutions for Networks for helping sponsor this and making this uh, this show possible and, and getting good people like Chris, uh, Professor Chris, as we should say, start calling you, <laughs> call you the prof. Yeah. That's what we should do. You're not returning champion. You're just the prof now. Uh, okay, but uh, <laughs> we, we really appreciate uh, the, the time to, to be able to do this and, and help uh, help us get the messaging out of what, uh, what can help you. So at any time, feel free to respond in comments. We post these all through social. A lot of people hit me direct. When I say respond in comments, I usually get like a lot of direct messages. You know, I was looking for like open banter, but if you don't want to yeah, do that and you yeah. feel uncomfortable doing that, feel free to keep hitting me up directly. And, and I know Chris is very available too. Not that I'm putting you on the hook, uh, but uh, I do know you're <laughs> no, very active. I, 
Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I've got videos I published two years ago. People will comment on them and, and I'll go back and respond. You know, I mean, um, you know, and and some of the comments are, are relevant. Others are not, you know, but uh, <laughs> it's kind of the nature of it, you know, and, yep. and you know, I try to be very available on social, um, you know, always looking to connect with people and, um, you know, help out way, ways that I can. I, I definitely do mentoring and things like that um, if people need help. So, uh, yeah, no, definitely feel free to reach out, you know, put some comments out there. And, and if you're comfortable doing it in front of other people, you know, it's great because you get other people to be able to chime in and, yep. um, you know, maybe somebody else is running into it and they're just afraid to ask. Right. So you're probably helping somebody by doing so. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. On that note, that's a great way to wrap it up. Uh, engage with us because we're here for you and we'll hear you, listen to you, see you on the next go around. And uh, again, we always appreciate you as listeners and viewers. It, uh, it The more likes, thumbs ups, views and subscriptions we get, uh, the better it is for us to keep, you know, keep this moving forward and have this sponsorship. So uh, please subscribe, like wherever you get podcasts. This show is widely available. The other one's not so widely available, but this one's widely available. So hit those buttons. Appreciate it. And we'll talk to you in the next go. Thank you. See you guys. Bye.